0: Southern Rock Podcast: A Southern Storm, a bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel.
1: And now, your hosts from the show, Brian Jones and Jason
2: Johannes.
1: Welcome back to this episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. It is our thirtieth episode—a little bit of a landmark. There, we're always grateful for all the downloads and participating on the Facebook page. With me as always, Jason. What's up, man?
0: Hey, I am doing great. The sun is out. The weather has warmed up considerably. My mood is a lot better. I'm feeling good. How about you?
1: I'm good. I mean, it's it's uh, warmer as well here. We're getting into getting close to 40s, getting close. So that's a good thing. Um, I, uh, I had to tease Andrew from them Dirty Roses a little bit because they were supposed to make it up this way. And they had to postpone shows because of the roads.
0: Yeah. the Southern boys aren't used to driving <laughs> that, man.
1: I, but I think that must be down from, like, Tennessee. Like, it's when they get some frost on the ground. Like, everything shuts down. I don't have
0: road crews, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: For the dusting That's okay. Cold. Hopefully they show up. The weather's better. You get out there. It's a little bit easier on you, <laughs>
1: I think it's been unusually has it been unusually cold down there? Is that what's gone on? I think, oh
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole month of that. February has been freezing for everybody, including yeah. down south. So it's been a shock. Right.
1: Well, yeah, it was extra brutal for us, like it always is, but it was even more so. But now, now it's uh, now it's better. And uh, I've got someone lined up to give me a couple guitar lessons. I mean, Jimmy James from Junkyard. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: Oh that. yeah, one of our favorite bands and good dudes. For sure, yeah. That's
1: uh, I had a little Skype chat with him, which was cool, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. He's a good, dude. So
0: speaking of junkyard, I still have to I still have to mail this to you. It's your autograph, post oh, junkyard, nice and an autograph and nice. and just an, a regular show banner, not autograph. Sure. So I'll get that mailed out now that I sure. can get out of my house. Yeah. Way. Thanks and, to them and and Pat.
1: You just showed me, before we got started, that you got your vinyl, the Them Dirty Roses, the acoustic show.
0: I, I did. Just, just showed up like half an hour ago before we started recording Lockdown and Unplugged live in Huntsville, Alabama.
1: Right on. So, in big news, too, Blackberry Smoke announced they're coming out with their record, You Hear Georgia. Uh, they released a single. Um, the release date is May 24th. 4th, 8th. Yeah, I don't
0: know. Twenty something. May. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I heard the single. It's awesome as can be expected, and I'm looking forward to
0: that. Blackberry spoke can really do no wrong. Do they? I think they.
1: Uh, they're going to do the Spirit of the South tour. They, they got. They're going to do that again. But I didn't look at all the
0: dates yet. Back with Almond Bets again. I think they were the original one of the original bands going yeah. back.
1: Right, and the wild that'll be stuff. a good show. That'll be a really yeah. good show. It'll be a really good show. So we're going to talk about, uh, again, like we talked when, you know, before we spoke with Andy Aildor, we talked about music journalists. Um, now we wanted to get, like, our take on it, not specifically who we listen to. or Would you like to lead us in this conversation, Jason?
0: Yeah, yeah. Since since Conan, our guest, is, a, is another entertainment slash music journalist slash, slash fan, I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about really the state of media and kind of how we're digesting it and stuff. You and I are both kind of middle-aged dudes. Um, but really, like for me with media, not so much print stuff anymore. Like I don't know the last time I bought a newspaper. Occasionally I'll get a magazine and read one. But I'm going online and looking at stuff, you know, even if it's a newspaper or a magazine site like Guitar World or Reading Rolling Stone, on, you know, I'm going and kind of reading on, on the digital side of things so much. haven't really adopted that in books yet i'm still reading like physical books but like newspaper magazines that kind of stuff i've i've kind of gone all digital how about you
1: yeah i mean it's been a long time that i've you know bought a you know copy of a magazine Um, and i live really close to barnes and noble so it's not out of inconvenience or anything like that i can't remember the last time I bought like Guitar World or Rolling Stone or anything like that, it's been, been a while. It's probably, I don't know how long, if it's been like a year or so around there. Um, yeah. I Because eventually like everything, all these articles come up or somehow somebody posts it or whatever. And, you know, it's, I guess, I don't know. It's not even really the money aspect of it. It's just, just convenience. Yeah, well, turn on your computer, turn on your phone, whatever, and you can pretty much find whatever and somebody posts something. So,
0: And, you know, the ability to embed like uh, video or audio and things, too. Like us, we're big music fans going to read an article about something. Hey, there's a video. There's a link to a new song. You could check it out right away. There's no searching. You know, right. A lot of it. And a lot of times you like reading people's comments about stuff, like the new Blackberry Smoke coming out. Read a bunch of stuff about that yesterday, mostly positive comments, but I saw, I did read a couple of negative comments, but it's just kind of nice to have different people's perspective, and with uh, print, you really don't get that.
1: Yeah, for sure, yeah. And as we're talking, this, like, kind of triggers off a little bit of a memory to my teenage years, like, when I was really into that kind of, like, L.A. kind of metal scene in, there in the mid-80s, like trying to remember all the magazines back then there's like circus and hit parader Parader. and, and whatnot and i think hit parader was more the one where i could you know find like almost something a little more obscure because i once i like knew of the bands that were more well known like i was always immediately searching for okay who else is like this and who who is like that that we don't know as much so that's nowadays is the way it is but that's how you
0: got media too, like pictures, right? Pictures and fold-outs You yeah. had of those magazines, and I had a lot of those pictures hanging on my wall. Like I told the dudes from Junkyard, I had a Junkyard picture from Hip Parader or Circus Magazine and Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith, and yeah. And now you don't. Now you don't have to wait around, man. You just go write write the articles and write the things, and you got what you need. It's, it's crazy.
1: It is. I mean, because we used to have to wait like a month till the next yeah. the next uh, the next you know uh, issue of the magazine came out. Back then, it didn't seem like it was in, you know, I didn't ever remember feeling, well, it made me a little anxious, but not impatient. Right. And now, I don't know if I could, like, wait, like, 30 days for the next no, batch I of info. that's it,
0: right? It's all, it's convenience. It's all about now. And I I read, I read a lot more now than I ever did. I was a pretty average reader of stuff. I'd read books and magazines and newspapers, but there's just so much information like I read way more about stuff than I ever did, just because it's it's a lot more convenient with the digital age. Right, right.
1: Yeah, you know, definitely, yeah, it's, uh, just more more reading stuff online than in print, basically. So, um... but that's got
0: to make it tough for the journalists out there too, we are trying to survive both on the or the even the the media companies to survive with the printed medium and also the digital medium at the same point too. And I think we end up having a pretty good conversation with. With a guy that you and I both like, who's written for Rolling Stone and Guitar World and locally in Alabama, and does a lot of stuff, who's a also a big music fan.
1: Yeah, and that would be uh, Matt Wake, and who we became familiar with through uh, Ian and David in the State of Work podcast had had him on, and uh, it was fascinating to hear about about his take on on the uh, state of Media journalism
0: is. and music journalism and entertainment journalism and just music in general. I think he had some really good takes on them, some things.
1: And uh extra interesting, the fact that he lives in Huntsville and he, so he's really, you know, steeped into that scene that's going on down there.
0: Maybe he was here with them, Dirty Roses, and they're live in the Huntsville, Alabama, album, which I'm which I'm showing on camera, which only you and I can see, which is stupid, but right. <laughs> I'm promoting it. Andrew, we're right. promoting your, your record.
1: We'll have to. And as we're talking about, you know, stuff, you know, this week or whatever, next time we get Matt on, we'll have to get his take on the, the new amphitheater that they're going to be building.
0: Right. I just saw that area. article. Yeah. On yeah. Yep. Looks it's badass.
1: Got, yeah. It's got like an old, like, kind of like Roman, Roman kind of uh, arena from way back from, you know, Colosseum coliseum yeah there you go you found the
0: right word there so <laughs> every once in a while that happens <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah this is going to be a really really great conversation as our conversations always are so everybody you know get yourself a cold whatever and a little snack and uh enjoy our conversation with matt wake <laughs> segment of this uh week's episode of the all things blues and southern rock podcast and as always like always before i pitch over to jason to tell the listeners who we have with us this week
0: thanks brian it is our pleasure to have on a uh, writer for al.com he's been featured in rolling stone magazine uh, guitar world um a lot of different places he's a big music fan plays some music himself uh, we have similar musical tastes, and I think that's why I like them on. He's been on the, our buddies, "The State of America" podcast to talk to Black pros. So, all around good guy and journalist, Matt Wake. How you doing, Matt?
2: I'm good. Uh, appreciate you guys having me. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Y'all doing pretty good tonight.
1: We're doing good. We're doing good. We thank you for being on too.
0: Absolutely, like you, like so. You live in Alabama. You're kind of in the heart oh, yeah. of of what Brian and I are trying to promote on this podcast with the Southern rock blues rock movement and there are a lot of good bands from around your parts um and you are very close you said to muscle shoals correct
2: yeah uh amazing amount of uh, great music was made there and speaking of southern rock i think some of the earliest if not the earliest skinner demos were made there so um Uh, a lot of cool history here and um uh it's it's neat how much cool stuff came out of such a little small place so
1: matt what are you what do you what do you see around there as a scene as far as like newer bands now younger bands in that area like what what, what's that like there
2: uh yeah so of kind of like rising local regional bands um there is some good stuff uh Muscle Shoals is both a city and kind of a uh, few city region uh, a little to the north of us. Um, there's a band that is partially based in here in Huntsville, partially also in Florence, called Rob Aldridge and the Proponents. Uh, they're a rock and roll band that um, uh, kind of Tom Petty-ish, kind of um, Wilco-ish um, uh, they rock. Uh, there's some, uh, you know, some talented local and regional bands around here for sure. Some of the bands that we've had on our podcast,
1: are you familiar with at all? Because um, I know Them Dirty Roses is from, like, Burma, Alabama. Um, and then getting over to Georgia, there's the Georgia Thunderbolts and um, in Tennessee, uh, Tennessee Champagne. You know, are you familiar with any of them or uh, – you know, yes, know,
2: yeah. know about them at and all. And... Yeah. Uh, those are some good rising acts. And uh, then Dirty Roses, you know, they I think they have potential twangy rock, kind of gritty. And they have, you know, I've heard some songs that have some good ups. Um Georgia Thunderbolts, you know, I haven't seen them live. I don't think they would be a good live band. They're a band, you hear their stuff, you're like, this is pretty good here, here on Spotify, but I bet it's really good in a rock club,
0: you know? Yeah. We're big fans of the Georgia Thunderbolts. That's one of our, one of our favorite bands. We've had them on a couple times and, you know, they're, they're one of the, I think rising stars of the movement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they got a cool name, which doesn't hurt it either, but yeah, Georgia Thunderbolts, I'd, I'd say there's somebody to watch. Um, uh, and you know, there's, there's, there's a few, uh, you know, kind of young and up-and-coming rock bands. Um, I think, you know, the the whole key is um, two things, you know, being the right songs. I always say uh, production is a hard uh, code for, uh, to figure out because I think sometimes bands lean a little bit into, not necessarily the ones we just talked about, but I think some new bands or even veteran bands releasing new music, lean a little bit too much into kind of quote-unquote modern rock kind of sounding production that you might he- hear on a modern rock station. And I think part of what, besides good songs and good performances, a lot of the the things that makes you know the classic songs we like stand up and still sound so good is they're produced in a way and recorded in a way that um, it sounds, you know, has a natural thing to it, but, and, um, but it it's puts the band on their best pedestal, but, um, sometimes I think bands lean
0: too much and into the wrong way on production. So, you know, you're, you're a music journalist or an entertainment journalist. How did you kind of get in, get into to writing about music and entertainment?
2: Yeah. So, um, You know, like, uh, you know, a lot of people, probably you guys too, like, you know, uh, as you get um, into your teenage years where you, you know, either have a job or an allowance and you start buying your own music a little more. Um, But I didn't start playing music till I was out of high school. uh, And I regret that. And in college, I started Uh, playing it was like the mid 90s and like what was really big then particularly in college towns was one jam bands or two alternative rock and being either clever or stubborn or stupid I was like I don't want to do those Uh, and I was like okay white dudes in their 20s playing blues who's doing that in the mid 90s. So I played in did blues bands, um, you know. Eventually graduated, got a you know real exciting job with a bank where like I wrote instruction manuals for bank employees, which is as riveting as it sounds. You Um, gave all that up, huh? I gave all that up to move to New Orleans and play music
0: full time. Well, where where, where did you grow up, and where, where did you go to college?
2: I went to college in Tuscaloosa at the University of Alabama.
0: There you go. And,
2: you know, pretty much grew up here in Huntsville. uh, Born in Maryland, so I don't talk like that. I was going to say,
0: where's the accent if you grew up there and you went to Alabama?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Parents from Illinois growing up in Maryland, I think, are kind of that. But um, so anyway, I moved to New Orleans, playing this band for a couple of years, have some great – widescreen adventures they're doing that. And, um, but you know, eventually you turn 30, uh, your friends are starting to buy nice houses. Uh, you know, you're getting tired of your, for a day job, slopping food on a plate or whatever. And I had a girlfriend at the time that, uh, was like, man, you know a lot about music and you talk, uh, you talk about it in a cool way. You should write about it. I was like, you know, screw that those guys are all failed musicians but it doesn't have to be like that like you know there there are definitely some journalists back then especially you know I think it was David Lee rock who said um, uh, rock journalists like Elvis Costello because rock journalists look like Elvis Costello, which is one of the greatest quotes that's ever great about,
0: yeah that's, that's yeah insults all around I love it. And, you uh, know, I like smell of this Costello. But the point
2: is, you know, the gatekeepers of uh, critical acclaim were so narrow back then, but it doesn't have to be like that. And um, so anyway, uh, eventually, it, you know, it became apparent the crows were never – black crows were never going to call me to, you know, replace Mark Ford. So, um, you know, you just start thinking, you know – this did not get to happen for me. I love music. And I moved back to Huntsville. I ran into uh, a friend who I had a lot of English courses with at the University of Alabama. There was a thing at that time called Alternative Weeklies. Like most cities of a decent size would have, the granddaddies are like the Village Voice. I used to work for the LA Weekly uh, in Los Angeles freelancing for them. That's another one. Um you had these, all, even in a city like Huntsville. She's like, we had this art we, all weekly. You should come write for us. Because, uh, you know, she always used to enjoy my uh, writing back at, at University of Alabama in our creative writing classes. So I started writing for them in Alt Weekly. And um, eventually built up Clip where I started writing for the daily newspaper year. I got a job in the Clemson, South Carolina area, working for a very small couple, two daily newspapers there. They had me develop an alt-weekly there in Clemson called Bootleg. It was short-lived. I got a job. It, it, it's like anything, it, are these little rooms for most of us have to go up in whatever we do. So uh, after the Clemson newspapers, I got a job. At a bigger market in Greenville, writing for their weekly entertainment tab, which is called Link, which unfortunate name, but uh, got a lot of good experience there. That connected me to an opportunity to uh, – Greenville News is owned by a big – or it was then a big uh, media uh called Internet. Their flagship, most people know is, would know most, is USA Today. So through that, I got a chance to uh, write for, at the time, Gannett was doing this kind of nationwide uh, network of faux alt-weeklies called Metromix. Metromix is in Greenville, but also New York, Austin, all over the place. And uh, the national music editor, a guy named Andy Herman, liked my work, and I started being a national music writer for Metromix. So the Greenville News uh, phase ended. Uh, I built that Metro Mix. My cat's about to jump here on the computer. Hold up. Uh Sorry. Um,
0: so well, I like to do that when I'm at work and it work Perfect. perfect. Uh, cat, cats are natural uh, assholes. Like Brian has dog. I have dogs, but I also have cats, and the cats are definitely more assholes
2: cat chaos but um so anyway the metromix thing was a key thing because one andy was like the first editor i worked at worked for in an entertainment capacity who was better than i was as a writer so you you have a lot of respect from him, you learn a lot from them now i had like news editors i worked for that were great at that but um and also he's an awesome guy so, anyway, I built those clips into it. back then, Paste magazine was a pretty big deal. They were still in print and um, uh, kind of a notch right below Rolling Stone, spin and paste, probably. So, I built, I was able to build uh, from the Metromix stuff to Paste. Uh, that's the first time I ever interviewed Rich Robinson from The Crows for a piece about Mick Taylor. Uh, for the Rolling Stones Um, um, did other stuff with him with them. Did you interview
0: him in person or was that like a phone interview?
2: Most of a lot of this, most of this stuff is phone stuff. You know um, now if I was working for, if I was a staff writer with like Rolling Stone or spin or one of those things, you know, they have, you know, artists that when they come through new New York, they'll come to the offices or whatever. But, um, so anyway, from doing the pay stuff, I got a job as the entertainment writer full time, which is a big deal. A staff job, like a lot of in- industries, is something you're real passionate about. Like, staff jobs are golden because the truth be told, to earn a living freelancing until you have a really high one percent name. It's twice the work to make two-thirds as much. So got this great staff job here in my hometown. I'd moved back where I was able to be with my family. Um, I was also able to start writing for LA Weekly because the guy at Metromix was now, Andy Herman was now the music editor at LA Weekly. So, I mean, LA Weekly, like if you watch The Dirt, the Motley Crue movie. Yeah there's a LA weekly in there there's it's a, a really cool or was a really cool uh, kind of iconic publication yeah, and sure. and plus my wheelhouse really is writing about hard rock and classic glam metal and all that kind of stuff and that is yeah i knew the, i
0: liked you mothership. the mothership. <laughs> and classic mothership. <laughs> This is why I wanted to have you on this podcast.
2: Yeah. And, and that place was the mothership and Andy gave me a lot of uh, work and I, you know, would get to do all these cool stories on those bands and find stories that hadn't been told, was able to build that up uh, to working, getting a couple assignments with Rolling Stone where I got to work with a really awesome editor there named Hank Steamer. Um, uh i also got to uh do a thing for guitar world and i still have something out there that's i'm still supposed to have with them but um why were you
0: with you a little bit through twitter and and um sorry to stop you right there i found you on social media and you always posted really cool stuff then like not too far after you're on the state morica podcast with david and ian who are who are friends of ours and we've, we've we've done stuff with them but um I was reaching out to see if you knew Andy Aldort because we were trying to get Andy Aldort on. And then Andy like popped into the conversation immediately, but you didn't know him even though you kind of both write for guitar world. and, um.
2: Yeah. Andy's tremendous. He's done a ton of awesome stuff with them. He's
0: crazy. But, we, we did a podcast with him what a month or two ago, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, recently have done some stuff with spin
2: who I love working with. Um, oh yeah.
0: Another great one. Yeah. And
2: uh, the, um, their process of uh, I really like uh, the cool thing about these kind of higher level media outlets is I'm fortunate in my job to have an, a lot of autonomy but um, at these higher level media outlets there's a lot of shaping the story that goes back and forth between you and the editors and it's fun because you they think of stuff that helps you your piece be better and you know, it's like Steven Tyler said about the famous A&R guy, John Kolodner. He's like, he kills my babies because he tells him his songs aren't good enough. <laughs> but at the end,
0: it makes it better. It makes it better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but um, so if you guys could have anybody, any musician living on your podcast, who would, who would you want to have?
0: Go first, we- Brian.
2: We really wanted. We're trying to get
1: either Charlie or Britt from Blackberry Smoke. Um, I, I, we both reached out to them via Instagram or Facebook Messenger. Um, I know they got they they are done with their next record, so we're hoping that they want to promote that. And I had Steve Gorman. I actually had him. This was before Jason joined back in October, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then just the trail went cold, so.
0: I think I ruined it. He added me on, and <laughs> Steve Gorman trail went cold.
1: No, that was before. That nice was before. work, Jason.
0: Yeah, right. So <laughs> I would like. So I think Charlie Starr is a plus for anybody current now. Uh, you know, I would love to talk to Rich Robinson because I'd like to talk to him specifically about his approach to music and everything he does be- as a musician. Myself, I think that would be interesting. And then, you know, Jimmy Page. Like I'm a big Zeppelin fan. I think Jimmy Page would be. Really fun, just because just kind of kind of conversations that that dude could have, you know? Yeah, man. Um, Rich is you know,
2: um you know, uh, Rich is a really smart, creative guy, and I've got to I think interview him like four or so times now, maybe five, but um, you know, um, it's like anybody else. You, you know, Rich has uh, maybe a reputation of being, you know, maybe. You know, having kind of a, uh, not the friendliest demeanor, but if you do your homework, if you ask him informed questions, you know, he's a great interview. He's really funny, really smart, and obviously tremendous musician.
0: Well, I think he sniffs out BS a lot, doesn't he? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: And he had, like his brother, he has. But, um,
2: yeah, Paige, you know, I'm huge fan. Uh, He's if you had to break it to the reason that I uh, started playing guitar, it was Paige, Slash, and Rich Robinson and Keith Richards. I actually think Robert Plant would be a better interview because I think Paige is pretty guarded about certain things. And I think um, I think pa- uh, Paige, I, if he would be really forthcoming, I think he would fantastic you know he's funny he doesn't take himself very seriously i think um uh i talked to i got to interview slash back before he got back with guns and roses he did a lot of press back then the yeah. solo career was starting up it was only 10 minutes long the the phoner was the phone interview but he was so another he had gotten sober he's a tremendously smart guy uh he could give you a colorful answer concisely better than anyone I've ever talked with. He was funny, smart, uh, had interesting stuff. His, I, I asked him what his favorite Southern rock band was. And he, he said, Allman brothers, hands down. Um, so since this is a Southern rock podcast that's a good, or Southern that's a good
0: music- choice, man, it's a good choice. Mm-hmm. sure.
2: And, you know, I always remembered like, you know, of course, they both played Les Pauls, but I was like, you know, the melodic sense on something like "Sweet Child of Mine," it's not hard to draw the line to like
0: "Blue Sky" from there. You know, great comparison. And you know, if you take early Guns and Roses with Izzy and compare them, like all my brother's band now, there was no Dwayne doing the slide, but very similar, I think, relationships between the guitars, between the rhythm guy and the, and the lead guy, and how they kind of I guess they use the parts to make each other better, or make the songs better. I mean,
2: it's hard to argue with the results, isn't it? I mean, the Dwayne Dickey years, the Izzy and Slash years. I mean, that's and the cool thing about, you know, bands is that usually they have, you know, they have this overlap on stuff they liked, you know, but they also like, you know, Dickie Betts would have, like, the swing and country influences and he brought in, you know. Um, Izzy, like, more New York Dolls and stuff like that, where Slash was more like Aerosmith or Zeppelin or ACDC. And, you know, that's how you make if, – if everybody listens – I think it was Chris Cornell actually said this, like, the lamest rock bands are where everybody listens to the exact
0: same stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with that, for sure. And, like, Guns N' Roses was never better than when Izzy was there. He added so much to that band that, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize unless they are musicians or really paying close attention. Like, no, nothing wrong with Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 or anything else, but, man, Appetite for Destruction, that's a whole other band and a whole other style, and, like, that's a lot of Izzy. Yeah,
2: Izzy's on, Izzy's on the illusions, too, but his he's kind of he, – he's not – He he got the
0: Jason Newstead treatment a little bit, didn't he, on like the the, um, Injustice for All? He's a little down in the mix.
2: I think he's a little down in the mix. And I think, um, you know, uh, he's more of kind of a street band kind of sounding guy as opposed to like, I love Queen. But, you know, uh, you know, that's kind of getting more into the symphonic Queen orchestrated, you know, uh,
0: music track
2: kind of
0: stuff one that juju hounds album too is really good i mean that's like some straight up 70s kind of sleaze rock and that's really he brought a lot of that approach to that first guns album
2: izzy's juju hounds album is the
0: best rolling stone solo
2: album ever <laughs> right right yeah,
0: that's a actually, really that's, that's a good yeah, that's a good point it
2: really is it, it's better than a keith solo album it's better than any <laughs> yeah, Mick sure. solo album it's better than any ronnie solo album
0: and I, and I like
2: some of all their solo stuff. But
0: Mark Ford played on some of that album, didn't he? I think, I
2: think he played on,
0: He played on one or two tracks,
2: um, but you know, uh, Rick Richards, the guy from the Georgia Satellites, played a lot of lead guitar on that, and was his, in as his, he's you know touring band, and I think he still plays on his records. But he's great on it. He had a a really good drummer that I think used to play with Bob Dylan. Uh, he had an awesome bass player called Jimmy Ashurst who yeah. uh, played yeah. on the foam foot. Um, yeah. With Chris, with Chris Robinson. Board. Yep.
0: Yep.
2: And he, later on, he joined that band. Uh, Buck Cherry made a very good living. I'm sure toured the all over the world um, and was a real asset for that band. Um, uh um, what are some other kind of like bands like? What are some al- other albums like Juju Hounds for you guys that are kind of like uh, essentials for you know a little below the surface of like okay Rolling Stones, Guns and Roses, Zeppelin's, St- Stones, whatever? Just or in this kind of hemisphere, like little nuggets, little gems like that in the cracks. Are you talking like nowadays or newer bands or. Can be can be something new, or it could be something, you know, from a classic era like that. Now, classic '90s is classic.
0: Yikes! Oh my god, makes, me, uh, makes my head hurt. Yeah.
1: Um. I mean, I can kind of, mention more bands that that we're into now you know, that, along with who we mentioned before. Yeah, give it to me. What you got? I mean, like, well, we're both wearing Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown shirts. I mean, they're they're not necessarily Stones like, but. Um there's I mean a Whiskey Myers I like a lot. Um we mentioned Blackberry Smoke. Um unfortunately things didn't work out for Bishop Gunn, but like Magnolia Bayou. Um just I'm trying to think of more stones kind of stuff. I mean I don't know, we uh, I don't know if you know about Jane Lee Hooker from New York City, all girl band except the drummer's a guy.
0: Blues, blues rock. for
1: blues, awesome. you know, I'm, scrappy kind
2: of. I read the band name, but I haven't heard it. And I saw that it was check them like,
0: check them out. I'd love the band name. It's great. I mean, it's, you know, you're paying homage to one of the best bluesmen of all time, but they've got, they're out of New York, which is really weird. You wouldn't see like a blues band would be coming out of New York, but two albums, their first one is straight up blues covers. Their second one is originals. And they, man, they get after, they got, they have twin uh, lead guitar players that kind of do That's some awesome. harmonies and stuff that you kind of see a little bit and like, Skinner or, or Almonds, who they're both inspired by, uh, you, you should check them out. They just put out a new single, which sounds like a 70s era, like Arena Rocker, which is a little bit different than their traditional blues, but it's really good as well, too. Um, well, all right. But I'm for me, Pat, answering your yeah. question, like, so yes. um, under the radar, not really this but you know, I think the Black Crows and a lot of bands had a lot of, lot of love for these guys, but Jellyfish, they put out two good albums in the 90s, really under the radar, but that was a cool ass band and I wish they would have found a lot more fame and that fall apart.
2: Yeah. That's a great one. Actually. Um, from the UK, I
1: forgot. This is uh, the band maker, uh, the record called dead, a- dead ends and avenues. And then rich produced some stuff for them in Woodstock, you know, the last couple years ago or something, but check out maker dead end, dead ends and avenues. That's really good. They're really, it's a really good record. in that am awesome. pro, pro stones vibe
2: um maker do i just spell it like m-a-k-e-r
1: yep yep
2: awesome uh yeah you know i love you know i'm a huge runaways fan and let's face it the best male rock singers sound like females so i love robert plant chris cornell chris robinson sounds like tina turner at his
0: best which is a hell of a compliment for either of them um But, yeah, man,
2: that's a – I
0: think you'll – what
2: do you think? We we were starting to rap about this a little before we got started here. 2021, like, okay, so rock still does good business live at concert level touring, whether that's touring level at the clubs, theaters, music halls, arenas, stadiums. You know, that's rock still rocks there. Maybe not so much on uh, current singles or mainstream influence to a certain extent, but with the pandemic and touring pretty much still shut down, what do you think, to me, like how rock, I think, can have an interesting year is on a couple levels, like a band we all love. We've been talking about the Crows. They're doing uh, this uh, Shake Your Money Maker box a lot of archival stuff from these classic bands Two, I think you'll get more and more memoirs like autobiographies. And I think they'll, you know, the more things come out, people see what they like, how maybe they can do a little twist on it. um, As far as these rocker books go, I think you'll see that more. And I do think, you know, I I, I think, a thing I think about a lot is like, you know, the sixties were a, Turbulent time, but like Neil Young didn't have Twitter, so he wrote mm-hmm. Ohio instead of going this effing sucks right Kent yeah. State, you know, and everybody going like, like people wrote, and I but I think and, and you know there's a lot of artists now that I'm like, and shit man, me too. There's a lot of, I think there are probably some elite rock artists right now who are probably not blabbing about it on Twitter or showing studio pick on Instagram or whatever that are probably doing some really cool stuff. Oh yeah. A new thing that he's a veteran artist. Um, uh, if you guys are familiar with the nineties uh, kind of Southern rock, they got a lot of a little more alt rock sounding, but brother Kane.
1: Yeah. Oh, brother yeah, Kane. Yeah, yeah. Johnson. Yeah.
2: His new album, Hard Rock Trio, catchy. Uh, it's it's definitely something to check out and. Um, I love those. The first, fir-
0: the first Brother Kane album, I loved. Yeah, it, it sounds like seventy yeah. southern rock that first one.
2: Yeah, it's really good, and I even like Seeds a little bit. The second one, it's mm-hmm. um, kind of like Southern Soundgarden. Garden. <laughs> 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 um, but. Um, You know, Damon's new record's good. And, you know, um, he's a great person to always talk rock with. But um, so I do think there are some. And it's like that ACDC album.
0: Holy smokes,
2: man. It It sounds sounds like like (laughs) ACDC,
0: which is the best compliment you can give this. It's a good album. Power up. Love it. Yeah, me too. It's like an 80s, good 80s
2: ACDC album. I was like, okay, I have listened to this one Album that came out in like December or November, whatever, more than any other release this year, like for the whole year. And it just came out at the end of the year. Um,
0: That was my go to workout album for for about a month and a half. Like I listened to to that while I was working out. Did you get pretty fit? I bet. Dude, I got ripped. I got shredded. Um, (laughs) So, but
2: ACDC, they're not going to you know, try to, uh, do production that makes them, you know, sound good on a modern rock station or sound, you know, good next to, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to insult any current bands that are in that format, but you know, it sounds like, it just sounds like Axe body spray smells, man. Like, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, so like, um, I don't know, what do you think is Rock's best shot to have, you know, to have, uh, to do stuff in 2021? Like
0: relevancy again? Like relevancy maybe, well, you, post-pandemic?
2: Or just like
0: You're mentioning ACDC, you know, when they come out,
1: you know, with this record, it's, it just legitimizes everything again. All the crap that's on yeah. FM radio and... All of a sudden there's ACDC because all these younger bands don't sell, it's not they're not on the radio.
2: Yeah, and you know what? Um it was undeniably good. Like the thing about ACDC is it's basically hard rock version of pop and music. Almost all those songs can dance to, you know, they're hooky, they're concise, there's not some crazy 12-minute jam, you know, that gets all abstract and weird. It's like, uh, and I think there's a lot to learn. I, if uh rock band, I mean, it's, or a band even, you know, with the Eddie Van Halen's passing tragic, uh, you know, what an amazing musician, uh, made, brought so much joy to people. But Van Halen was hard rock version of pop. They wrote pop songs. It just yep. happened to be packaged in a, badass, mother flipping hard rock band.
0: Great front man, great musicians behind them, and, like, you could bring a show tune or a cheesy pop song and make it good.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, uh, to me, the best hard rock songs, you could make them into pop songs, you know? Like, or play it on acoustic guitar. Like, um, so I, I think... I thought the ACD, how AC, well ACDC did, and, you know, I'll be straight up, a couple of their albums before this, I didn't think were so hot. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it sucks in life, but sometimes, you know, like Malcolm Young dying, sometimes it takes something shitty like that to, you know, get you back into like being inspired. And uh some it, it stinks, man. But that's sometimes that's what it takes. And you know, uh, Angus and you know the whole band. They just really. It's been a while since a rock band. How you know? geez ACDC's been around since the early seventies. Mm-hmm. Like when was the? La- I love the Rolling Stones. I'm the a Rolling Stones freak. I'll buy any album they put out. But when was the last... And you get, always get excited about the new Stones album for a while. You're like, okay, there's like three good songs on here. Mm-hmm. But like the glove has been thrown down to me by ACDC. Like, if Guns N' Roses comes out with a new studio album, if the Stones, they've been working on one, like, it can't just have two or three decent songs on there after that ACDC album. I mean, they've really... As far as a rock and rock band goes, I can't think of one that late in their career that I thought, you know, it wasn't something you might not want it, it, You know, it's not back in black, but it's like, it doesn't dilute their
0: catalog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, going to your question a little bit, what can, what can rock do to kind of stay, stay game? What are they going to do? One, I agree with you. I think these. These packages, unreleased materials and things are great because there's a lot of bands that uh, have that. The Crows, plethora of stuff, I think probably the Stones and everybody else. So to get stuff people haven't heard or the, the normal masses, the casual fans haven't heard out, I think to get people excited. When live music comes back, is going to help. I think people are, are, are ready to get back to see live music and hear live music again because we've been locked up inside away from people for so long, too. I think there's going to be a renaissance for live music where it's just going to be more popular uh, than ever just because people were stuck for a year, year and a half inside their homes, and people are not going to take a, a live musical experience for granted anymore. So you hype, you hype the band, you hype your stuff, and then you get ready for the snowball effect of when it's safe to get back out and see live music again.
2: Yeah, and once it gets warm, like... Um... It'll even it won't be back to normal, but the possibilities are just greater. More people, bands. I I know for a fact there are a significant number of bands who won't even talk about doing a show unless it's outdoors.
0: At yeah, this point, that's smart until we know you know how everything's going to turn with the vaccines and everything. Yeah, and and same with fans. And I think
2: you know that'll open stuff up and you know when stuff opens up a little bit people start thinking of other ideas They're like oh man this is awesome
0: i think another thing that helped matt too is like the people who embraced live streaming blackberry smoke did excellent they did four of it they promoted the packages they had all the stuff uh, you know a lot of people have embraced that and that gives people a little bit of taste of the live music it gives the performance a chance for an outlet and then you get excited again when people go back and you know, maybe this streaming thing is is a new platform that's going to stick around too for people like I can't physically go to a show. I mean, Brian's in Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know how many people get out his way. But if somebody throws up a, a streaming show that I want to see post it, people will pay for it. It's another opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I think I think to, I, had, I didn't see the Blackberry Smokes. I didn't see the Blackberry Smoke ones,
0: but... They had four different venues. They did, like, the Tabernacle for their homecoming. They did yes. um, uh, they did uh, the Ryman Auditorium, the original one. Um, and then, what else? They did another place in Georgia. I couldn't remember what it was. And then the Tabernacle. And, uh, four different settings, four different sets. It was cool.
2: The two that I saw that stood out to me, that uh, young band from Los Angeles called... Um, dirty honey did one from the viper room yeah great Man. great performance um well shot well produced it was very much like being at the front row of a nice a big rock club the other one i saw was by the uh the band la guns who a lot of people know by their oh, heck yeah!
0: you and tracy were chatting on twitter today i saw about the reinvention of guitar or piano i think right
2: yeah, yeah, Tracy's super smart guy, great view. Good follow um, and good follow on social media and there's some people guitar player from his era that he's a better guitar player and uh but just a thoughtful smart guy. And um but Ellie Guns' live stream they did it, and it had kind of like more of a surreal thing with like digital backgrounds, and I think they might have shot it in Las Vegas. I could be wrong, but well-produced band playing like you know, uh, they're playing you know, for a past show. I, I think what now the whole live streaming of you know the guy, the artist at home on his den with playing the acoustic guitar, I think – That's a tough one to get over, especially it got, you know, in your your social media, particularly Facebook, your feed just got filled with people doing those of different levels of music. And uh, I think it's kind of really hard to get over unless, you know, like when I watch somebody like uh, Patterson Hood from the Drive-By Truckers. Do that? Yeah, I would. But, uh, you know, he's kind of a special songwriter where you can enjoy it on that level. But I tell you what, man, the Dirty Honey thing and the L.A. Guns thing, I was like, the price was fair. Production was good. Uh, The L.A. Guns thing, they even had this beginning thing where Eddie Trunk interviewed them, did a real cool interview. Uh, And, you know, I'm 49 now. And I think, you know, I was like, this works for me. I like this. But, you know, if, you know, if either of those bands was played in my town, you know, damn straight good. I'm going to go see
0: it. Yeah. Well, what's nice about the the streaming, though, is it's a fair price, and you get it for an extended amount of time. So either you can't see it live or you see it live and you want to watch it again. I think that's, that's, a, that's a really cool option.
1: So all of a yes. sudden I got a bunch of questions for you, Matt, uh, pertaining to <laughs> L.A. Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned tracy guns and i know he gives i thought i saw him on twitter saying he gives guitar lessons so i sent him a tweet asking him about that um now with going back to izzy what do you make of his mystique you know he you know he just he does his records and puts them on itunes and whatever and doesn't do a whole lot of playing out but he's such a everybody says like he is like such a badass you know i mean like He's the Keith Richards of his time, or whatever, and just everybody has so much respect for him. And you know, they would when they were doing Velvet Revolver, like Slash and Duff would say, like, "Izzy's the kind of guy. He's there, and all of a sudden he's not there, and you know, he's not really cut out for something like that." So, like, what do you make of Izzy?
2: Well, okay, two things with Izzy Stradlin. You know, he either co-wrote or wrote or like uh, the backbone or guts of so many of those early Guns N' Roses incredible songs that reached millions of people but still had, you know, kind of grittiness to them. Like, uh, so he started there. He looked cool, cool as hell. Um, And then, you know, from there, all of a sudden it's a scarcity. He's not on Twitter going, you know, look, I cooked this, Frittata today, you know, or hey, check out my new um, reality show. Or, I mean, it's like that mystique that's gone, you know, from a lot of rock. Uh, so Izzy has just the killer songs that continue to fill up stadiums when people tour. You know, you take those Izzy Stradlin songs out of the JNR catalog, you're talking about a much different band okay, and I love that band, love all the musicians in it, extremely talented, they've all contributed to making it great, but you take the Izzy contributions out, different animal, Uh, and then like, you know, just the kind of, like you said, the mystique involves mystery, which involves not being obvious in there all the time, so, uh, you know, and... You know, and he's probably undoubtedly has made so much money off the royalty and royalties and whether sales or radio play off those classic gun songs he wrote or co-wrote. He probably only has to leave the house to go walk out to the mailbox to (laughs) pick up a big fat check.
1: When uh, when were you in L.A.? You lived there for a while or?
2: No, no, no. I, I. freelance for them for a couple of years okay i went out there a couple of times for work um i love it there um and it's like you know like when i went to jamaica i've only been to jamaica once or you know i lived in new orleans or the first time you go to new york like it's amazing how much these you know these places that have produced so many huge bands uh you go to these places, and you're like, oh, okay. I see why this music came from there. You know, even something like Athens, Georgia, where it's just got this electric art school vibe, like, in the whole city. But, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, just something about those bands, man. Even, you know, stuff that was more on the alternative side, like Jane's Addiction, like, um, you know, uh, I think it's good – you know, even a band like that, you know, I mean, uh, Perry Farrell's a, a careerist, you know, he's he's in showbiz. I mean, it's the underground, but, you know, I, I think that Van Halen, I mean, the work ethic of, a you know, uh, of those guys to put up the flyers, all the, you know, or you think of someone like <laughs> huge rock stars now, like Tommy Lee going around you know, stable gunning flyers to all the, you know, phone poles. Like, you know, that ain't just getting on Facebook and going, hey, guys, come to my gig Friday. Hey, have you ever heard of the Freewheelers? They were a band
1: out of L.A. in the early 90s. I had heard about them from Chris Robinson in an interview with High Times. There was a guy by the name of Luther Russell that was originally from Portland, and he's back there now, but their second album is called Waiting for George was produced by George D'Acquarius, but they only had two records. But if you get a chance ever, if I don't think those are still in print, but they're on YouTube. The Free Wheelers waiting for George. It's like it sounds like Mad Dogs and Englishmen, kind of awesome.
2: Yeah, wow, that's a cool reference to Joe Cocker stuff that was so inspiring to Chris Robinson. Um, yeah. wow, Free Yeah, I'm not hip to that. I know I knew that Luther. uh, the Luther guy you mentioned, I think he had a band with Mark Ford. Yeah, Federale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, that's
1: Luther Russell.
2: Isn't it interesting how these little tributaries of all these bands go? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, man, it, it's fascinating. And you know, uh, they all have to. I, you know, the, uh, these all little universes and tributaries of these kind of supporting players and. Uh, spinoff bands and like the overlaps and um uh free willers that's an enemy man you guys are giving me some good recs
0: <laughs> we try we try brian started this podcast to uh to spread spread the word of some bands that people might not know
2: that's ever aber- and you know it's hard it's hard for there used to be okay so there used to be a lot more coverage available to local and regional bands because in print, the alt weeklies that all these cities had, they had to fill up a paper every week, right? They had a certain amount of pages or a certain amount of room on those pages, which is called News Hole. Uh, but now, once tech space journalism moved to digital and they could track exactly how many people clicked on each story, you know, the fact of the matter is, if you're a band, Unless you're some – if you're a band, I don't care if it's a hot gig and you packed the 200-capacity club, 200 clicks is terrible for a mainstream media outlet. You can't make money you, 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 that's like one, like not even 5% of what you need to get. Like, so it, unfortunately, it's very difficult to make money covering – bands until they're of a certain size unless you know every once in a while you'll have some Alabama shakes coming along where some kind of arbiter of taste some tastemaker like the aquarium drunkard guy who found them is like and you know what did they have they had an awesome singer they had some tight concise songs you know um and they had kind of you know I think for a for a young rock band to really hit mainstream again, I think they're going to need a little twist. I think and probably not all male members. I think they need a twist like a girl singer or like some kind of diversity in there. Like, I think it would be very difficult. Yeah, just because I think I don't know. I think there has to be some twist. Um but anyway, like, uh, but for the most part, and that's a rare bird in Alabama shakes that, you know, and, and because really, really good singers are rare. That's why most of them are crazy is because they can do whatever the hell they want because there's like eight good ones in the whole world, you know, like really good ones. Like if Scott Weiland sucked as a front man, he would have been flipping burgers like way before core came out but he was really freaking good at front in a rock band and writing songs and singing when he was on but um so anyway it's just hard for these young rising bands where like 20 years ago there are all these alt weeklies and newspapers that had to fill pages so they could get do these stories on these bands that play clubs but now it's even dodgy to do stories on bands that play amphitheaters, cause three thousand people clicking on a story, like uh, say they're playing a song about amphitheater uh, that seats has a, a thousand capacity, three thousand people clicking on your story, you ain't gonna make money on that, man. It's it sucks, and but it it's it's like it it has made you. As someone in print media, it's it's made me appreciate like ratings in television. Like you're like, well, that show was cool. Well, nobody watched it, so it went out. It's business is business. Unfortunately.
0: So, with the current kind of state of music journalism, because I mean, that's what you're doing—entertainment journalism—is it more important for for the print stories or the or the digital pieces right now? That's really kind of driving what you're doing.
2: Print hasn't been. Yeah, it's all digital. And print, I love it. It looks cool. There's still uh, more significant advertising dollars than you would think there, just because it costs money. But uh, it, it's all digital. Nobody writes for print anymore. If you're doing it, you're not going to be in this longer. Then you, you don't want to go. Kind of the digital, you can get into like drive by, bubblegum, you know, half assed, you know, shit that we've all seen versions of it or aggregated where they just take somebody else's work and remix it a little bit, so to speak.
0: Has that changed Um, your writing approach going from a print media to digital? And if so, how?
2: It changed it because you look for, um, You get, like anything else, the more you do it, the more you get a nose for what has a good chance of having a good batting average. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, there are certain bands that I know will be well-read because, guess what? They have a ton of fans. Guess what? Because they have a ton of good music and a ton of good songs. Now, uh, there are certain bands that and some people say controversial stuff that gets covered a lot. Um, and every once in a while, you know, you you don't want to be have hyperbole, but you'll see a young man come around and you'll say, "Hey, this is someone you need to hear." But it's a rare, 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 rare. Um, and you also got to think at this point you have to be when you make a statement like that, uh, kind of. Um, Uh, of a young rising band. It has to be a band that you think can play, uh, amphitheaters can play arenas. Um, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, But what it does is like at the end of the day, it tells you to respond what readers respond to, you know, uh, if, if people in print in 1970 knew exactly who read what stories, I mean, they would have responded to it, you know. Um, but, uh, th- but the good news is, you know, that if you make really good songs, if you're really good live, like the Black Keys that, I mean, those guys were from Akron, Ohio, and, but they had a really good singer. They had songs that dudes and chicks liked. Big thing right there. Van Halen females liked them, males like so it still can happen MTV was this we think of it as like a visual thing but really what it was was a nationwide radio station monoculture it's so fragmented now like people can and there was less different stuff for us to do and entertain ourselves with you know what like 24 cable channels there were then you know um you got your music from MTV or radio or maybe Rolling Stone or spin like, and now it's just so fragmented, you know, I think it's hard to cut through. And I think a lot of the bandwidth has been eaten like, uh, and I think also even like, like when I was talking about production earlier, like even a band, like I wasn't so much into a lot of the grunge, but bands like Nirvana, or Soundgarden, certainly. Older fans who maybe were more into, like, 70s rock or stuff, or 80s rock, they could get into them because, you know, Nirvana was basically – I mean, they sounded a lot like a hard rock or 80s metal band, but with the bass higher, not as good of guitar solos, different clothes, different haircuts, instead of, like, chicks and cars they were singing about, you know, like – other stuff but like that was
0: the biggest difference between grunge and the hair metal or the metal scene that came from grunge was all about depressing stuff the metal was all about fun stuff and guess what what the
2: 80s rock revival rolls on because good
0: times good times it's fun,
2: it's 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 time. fun and yeah. and there's a ton of those bands who had at least two good songs at least one good rocker and at least one good power ballad Gotta have the power ballad for the ladies. Yep. There's just a ton of those because it made money, and now the money is in rap and pop and R and B. So that's what the uh, the business side is going to develop. But eventually, there'll be a rock band that you know cuts through. They've got to have an album that's like Appetite for Destruction. You know, there weren't three good songs in Appetite. That's
0: one of the I, best I debut it, albums of all time. That, it's, it, there's not a stinker on that one.
2: No, no. And I, I think that... Um, so, it, it, the interesting to me is like the 90s. What kind of 90s revival is there going to be? Because many of the best biggest bands that now would be Arena Legacy X, Soundgarden's done, Stone Temple Pilots... Amazing players, but without Scott Weiland out front, right. they're not going to do th- anything bigger than clubs unless they're a support act right. um, or on a festival. Allison Chains, they found a guy who can who's really good at singing that stuff. But they play theaters now instead of uh, you know arenas. Um, Nirvana, obviously, Blind Melon, like uh, you know, where, like whereas like think of how long like. All these '80s and '70s and even '60s bands, mm-hmm. you know, what? Where is the arena-level acts gonna go after the '80s
0: bands hanging up or die off? I don't know. I don't know. So I'm gonna go back to something that you said, <laughs> kind of like the popularity. You said with rap music, is rap still quite as popular as it used to be? Is it been or has it been overtaken by like country pop or pop country or kind of what's? what's going on because that to me seems like that's been like the rising force almost de facto modern pop or modern rock.
2: I mean, all of those do really good business the, the uh, you know, the country and the kind of pop country stuff. Yeah. Um, pop, I mean, it's like, it's like the 1% in anything. I mean uh, you know, those uh, in, you know, Taylor Swift has kind of moved from uh, country to pop. It's well documented. But um, but yeah, I mean And the interesting thing to me about the rappers is You know, I don't I liked the rap that I grew up with Yeah, a the kid. 80s rap, yeah But to me, it's kind of a youth thing for me Like, I'm not gonna try to pretend I'm young by pretending I like The music by Future or You know, that guy or something But I will say Those guys are the rock stars now mm-hmm. They have the long hair You know, like a lot of Bands have, like, haircuts like us. They could be IT guys. You know, the rappers, they we- they wear, like, badass leather suits or, like, no shirt and leather pants. You know, that's Slash in 1988. The tour you
0: know? bus like, full, of, full of women or the hot tub in the tour bus, yeah.
2: They're dating the models and doing the drugs, and, like, you know, they may pay the repercussions for some of that later on. Like, tends to happen, but... Unfortunately, but uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to fake like I know a lot about rap music, hip hop music, but it does tremendous business. And another thing, a lot of that is solo artists, you know, so they have songwriters and producers and multiple producers and shit like that. But it's not five guys having to agree on the album cover. It's not like simplicity, man, like on the business side, you know, pop. It's mostly solo acts simplicity one person to deal with for their uh, on the business angle not five i mean again songwriters producers but it's you know but again but again they'll eventually there will be some rock band that makes a lot of money and other people will go hey i want to eat me some of that i can find someone who fits in that triangle shape peg and shove another Rock band through that. So,
1: what do you make of when we're talking about like who you think is going to be like filling the arenas from the '90s or whatever? But what do you make of like whatever the business model that Blackberry Smoke has has been hand built by them, and they're very successful. I think Whiskey Myers as well. You know, you hear these you know interviews with Charlie and stuff, and he'll say like, "Well, we decided early on we're going to be a fans band, yeah, and keep the fans and family and." The social media really works into that. So, do you think that has like a ceiling, or do you think those bands can somehow break through to where you know the numbers were for arena arena bands? Like, I, I see the, the Blackberry Smoke is more of the Grateful Dead kind of formula of doing your business.
2: That's a great question. I think, um, I think Blackberry Smoke. That's a- question because they tap into the southern rock thing, a little bit of the jam band thing, a little bit of the country thing. So you're pulling from people who have, you know, maybe more almonds in their collection, maybe more Wayland in their collection, maybe more uh, whatever. Um, and like you said, they built it up through being live. What kind of, what, what do they play amphitheaters now or big uh, musicals? More sheds, like
1: sheds, yeah.
2: In theaters. Um, you know, I think I would think that they would be able to continue to be strong live acting. You know, it's, I don't know if I see them getting into arenas again as a just cursory look at it, but uh, Charlie's super talented. The whole band's great. Um And he's a very nice guy to talk with the one or two times I interviewed him. But, um, uh, yeah, I think that's a, and you brought up a great point. If you are good live, if you're good live, you have good songs, you're good to your fans, um, I think you can still build up and you, and you work and you go to maybe, uh, I think for a band like that, you know, they probably have played a lot of tertiary and secondary markets, you know, whereas like big bands now, They have gotten super efficient instead of playing 75 dates, they play 30. They hit the biggest markets where they know people from Alabama will drive to Atlanta, whereas maybe they used to come to Birmingham, you know, uh, and they max the hell out of, they're really good at the merch now. Um, You know, the the touring, even like, you know, they still have a lot of trucks and stuff, the bigger tours, but Like the lighting, remember the big trusses for like the old, you know, hard rock, Van Halen and stuff. Like now it's all LED lights that are much more compact, way less, so they can use fewer trucks, like um, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, I think you know, a band like Blackbird, they'll they'll be uh, they'll do well the rest of their career at that level. Um, I'm trying to think of the, you know, Foo Fighters, I guess they were late nineties and Pearl Jam. They do really good business. Yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to think of nineties X Radiohead. They do really good business, not my type of music generally, but they're good at what they do. Um, uh, I, I think that's a, you know, uh, and then you have bands like – like, I, I love the early White Stripe stuff because they had good songs, they had a mystique, they had a look, uh, they had a twist. But, you know, a lot of that stuff, to me, I think what made it sound new at the time, the kind of duo thing, now I listen to it. It's like, this sounds like demos, you know. Like, you know, I don't know he added, like, bass and stuff and the later stuff a lot more but um you know that's a band that i think you know if they but again if they would have had a full band i think they would have gotten the greta van fleet zeppelin clone thing like because jack white especially back then was like a punk rock version of if jimmy page and robert plant was the same person
0: yeah yeah absolutely
2: so i think we're winding down here
1: and so that's kind of the part of the show where Jason uh, throws out some random questions
0: at you. You're in trouble. (laughs) Um, Road rats. Let's go. So we're going to do, Brian, I'm going to do something a little different this time. I'm going to do lightning round, a couple quick hitter questions, and we'll get probably one or two, a little bit expanded questions. Okay. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. What metal bands were most influenced by blues or Southern rock?
2: Metal bands influenced by blues or Southern rock. Um, Maybe Southern Rock, in a weird way, Pantera, um, maybe blues, um, metal bands. Um, geez, I mean, what do you call – is Zeppelin a metal band? Probably not. Uh, I don't know. Sabbath had a lot of blues Sabbath
0: 90, like that decade. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so maybe Pantera for Southern Rock, uh, for blues, and uh, um, maybe something like um, – I don't know. That early Sabbath stuff, even the 70s stuff, has a lot of blues in it.
0: What about any hair metal bands influenced by Southern rock or blues? Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I think a band like Guns N' Roses is definitely influenced by both of those. Um, I, I think Sweet Child of Mine, I think, you know, was Axel's start to write a kind of Skinner type ballad. I think he's ever even said that in interviews. Um, and, you know, Slash's guitar playing is very bluesy
0: okay what's the greatest southern rock band of all time my brothers right answer very good (laughs) who's the greatest blues blues artist of all time
2: oh man i've I've probably got to go um uh probably robert johnson
0: that's a good call Who's your who's your favorite guitarist jimmy page you're you're making all the right answers Okay, if you could perform with any band at any time throughout history, who would it be?
2: Black Crow, Southern Harmony.
0: Oh, man. Dude, I knew having you on was a good idea. All right. What is the greatest band out there right now that's active? As far, Like a young band that's... Nope. Just the greatest band out there right now that's
2: so active playing. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, the Stones are still active. You know, they still tour. AC-DC. Um, but, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses, they can still bring it. Aerosmith is still really good live. Um, but as far as a newer band, it's not cool to say it, but I love Greta Van Fleet, man. Uh,
0: I love Greta Van Fleet too. And they get a lot of shit. I don't think they deserve it.
2: Copy Zeppelin. It's terrible. Copy Velvet Revolver. Copy Velvet Underground or like the Pixies. You're
0: a genius. They're playing their own instruments, doing rock riffs. They're enjoying themselves. They're stage present. What's, I mean, what's the problem? I
2: think one is you're having these kids who were, when they came out, were like 18 to 22, that are making a lot more money than a lot of musicians For them, that even good ones who have had some careers, know rock writers will ever make. I think there's a jealousy thing, and I also think if Greta Van Fleet, if they dressed like just normal dudes, like like wore hoodies and t-shirts and like uh, Converse Chuck Taylors, people would give them less shit. But they, you know, they do the Zeppelin cosplay, and you know, I think even
0: with the um, uh, village people, I think <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> or, or or like Jim uh, Roger Daltrey at Woodstock,
0: with, yeah. Uh, that's a good call. Uh,
2: or if they were like, even like if they were all females, people would be like, oh, my God, they're the next heart. They're great.
0: But, you know, it, I love Greta Van Fleet. Uh, they rock. One last quick question, and then we'll go to a little bit more deep one, though. What is, who is the next who is the next biggest thing in rock that we should watch out for?
2: Okay. Uh, there's a band. Have you ever heard of Sheer Mag? No. Yeah, they're from the north. I forgot where. But it's this really interesting mix of, like, classic rock and punk rock and, like, 80s pop. And they've got a female lead singer. um, And she's, like, a gritty, tough singer, not like a babe out there. And um, they have some good, concise songs. And they're finally getting better production and better mixing. And I think that I could see them having some big uh, mainstream success. I don't think they're going to be the next Guns N' Roses, but I think I could see them having
0: some mainstream. Sure, Mac. I'll mark that down. Okay, I lied. I have one last quick hitter question for you. What is the, the best modern Southern rock or blues album? And by modern, we t- we will say 90s on.
2: You know, I I would count Southern Harmony, musical companion, Southern Rock. So I, I'd be tough. You would have a tough time convincing me there's been a better Southern Rock album. I'm not saying there haven't been good ones or ones maybe as right. good, but Dependent. to me, that's
0: the best. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I'm going to – last question I have of, my, of Jason's part of the show is – what is your proudest journalistic achievement that you've had? You've had a long career. You've done a lot of things. What is it?
2: Um, uh, anytime an artist that has been interviewed a lot tells me it was a good interview at the end. Like when someone like Nikki six will tell me that or, um, stuff like that. Uh, when, uh, I was, i got a Los Angeles Press Club award one year. That was pretty cool. Um, and you know, a lot, a lot of journalists, like a lot of journalists, I've got a lot of awards at different levels. But um, when a, when an artist—I uh, mean, Nicky Six was on poster on my wall when I was a kid. And after the interview, you know, he goes, "That was a good interview. Thanks, man."
0: You know, you're like,
2: "That's kind of cool."
0: Was the crew your favorite band growing up? Uh, High school, a lot of it,
2: yeah. Uh, It would kind of switch back and forth. It was them, and then I got into uh, Guns N' Roses because uh, Motley was going to be opening for them. or or Guns was going to be opening for Motley, and I was one of those kids who happened to be watching MTV at like 5 in the morning or whenever, MTV played the Jungle video for the first time, and I was like, this just has more oomph, and oh my god, it's catchy as hell, and dangerous, and well done, but it's still kind of slick, but yet uh, rough edges, jagged, Um, so it would go back and forth. Whoever had a new album, uh, Appetite, Lies, but then when Dr. Feel good came out 24-7 listening to that, how about you guys?
0: So I would say, um, first, on the crew thing, I think if you don't go or don't go away mad would make a great country or southern rock. Like if a a band took that and did that, I think that'd be fantastic. I think that translates well. What do you think?
2: I think it's a killer idea. And to me, that's one of my favorite songs from their catalog. Dr. Feel Good or Girls, Girls, Girls or, you know, Kickstart My Heart. But I love Don't Go Away Mad. That's like to me, that was uh, one of their best tracks.
0: Absolutely, and and for your information, Too Fast for Love is still my favorite crew album.
2: There's something about
0: hearing. Okay, they were nobodies at that point. Well, Nikki Six
2: was known a little bit locally from playing the successful Hollywood band, but they were nobodies. It's it's crappy sounding. I love that it's crappy sounding, like cheap sounding, like. It sounds like it's a
0: punk album, pretty much like punk metal.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. It has that garagey feel to it. It's like even something that I'm not like a Madonna fan, but her first album, it sounds crappy. It sounds cheap. It doesn't sound. It's a somebody back when they were. There's something endearing as hell about that.
1: All right. Well, Matt, uh, we really want to thank you for being on. It's meant a lot to us. It's been a really awesome chat. Thank you so much. Rock journalist Matt Wake here with so us. Matt,
0: before we close it out, where, where should we follow you? How can we find you? Like kind of promote yourself a bit.
2: Yeah. So uh, uh, follow me on Twitter at Matthew B. Wake. Like Matthew B. is in boy wake up. Wake as Wake is in wake up in the morning. Matthew B. Wake on Twitter. Um, I'm a staff writer with al.com uh freelance a little bit hopefully some more stuff with some other folks again soon
0: and i will say before brian closes it out though they should follow you on twitter and facebook i think you're doing social media the right way you're very positive you have a lot of fun questions and things that you're doing and it's 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 a good experience you even put up with my annoyingness sometime and and very polite to me so (laughs) follow matt on facebook and twitter you won't be disappointed
2: Thanks, Jason. I appreciate that. And uh, Brian, cool talking with you, man.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Can't wait to have you on again. So once again, thank you uh, to rock journalist Matt Wake for being on the all things blues and Southern rock podcast. And when we're done rolling here, if you could chat with us for a couple more minutes, that'd be great. Sure. All right. Thank you, Matt. See you guys. Thank you. Well, thanks to Matt Wake for uh, having a great conversation with us. Uh, it was good to hear his more elaborate take on how things have changed from, you know, the print media to, to digital media and uh, how he's had to adjust to that. And I enjoyed uh, his take on the local scene there in in Huntsville. He ended up uh, getting back to me at, about a band that I had posted. I mentioned a band called the Freewheelers that were um, out of Los Angeles in the, about the mid-90s that I had heard about from an interview with Chris Robinson And uh, the guy that was primary songwriter and singer and guitar player in that band uh, by the name of Luther Russell went on to form a band with Mark Ford after Mark was uh, out of the Crows the first time. They had a band called And So uh, it was cool to, uh, what what can I say, enlighten someone that probably would know, you know, just about about every band. that, that That was neat to have that happen
0: yeah and I kind of it's kind of nice to hear from Matt's beginning of like a music fan and a little bit of musician you know as a teenager in college and then starting to write manuals for banks and then that's how he got into journalism or whatever (laughs) that's an interesting uh, career path but then just kind of understanding too is the state of journalism now where you you really don't have that one gig with one group anymore you work for a lot of different people and do, do a lot of different things and I guess it probably gives you a lot, of, a lot of perspective on things, but I think you're probably hustling a lot harder than you had to, used to have to 10, 15, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, and I really like that he's, you know, with all that talent that he has, I mean, he had a girlfriend that encouraged him to, like, pursue writing, which I thought was fabulous. Um, one thing that we talked to him about actually afterwards was that, you know, about how it's not as easy to get in touch with with you know artists that have been around with a little more success and oh well, you got to I guess kind of like just keep build on to on. that
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: and just keep on building building what you're doing and, and kind of like what we're doing no that yeah exactly what I'm talking about you know when we're reaching out to like guys like Charlie and Britt from Blackberry Smoke and reaching out to Gorman, you know, who just got to, you know, those guys, like uh, Matt pointed out to them, time is money, you know, so you just got to keep on uh, building up your brands, so to speak. I, that was great to hear that from him and kind of get a little more of a, a little more of a clear idea of what,
0: what goes on with those things. Yeah, and, you know, not only having his perspective as a journalist, which is good, but as really a really a music fan, a fan of blues music, rock music, metal music, and just, you know, hear what he had to say about all that. I thought it was kind of interesting when I asked him what, what bands he thought or metal bands or hard rock bands were influenced by blues or southern rock. You know, he came up with Pantera and a couple other bands. And yeah, that was... And also left off a couple obvious bands, too, I was surprised about.
1: Yeah, I like I I'd like that he mentioned Pantera, because I've, I've had that opinion a little bit.
0: You know, those hey, guys... love Texas blues guitar players. He's yeah, yeah. Texas.
1: Those guys being from Texas and... <clears throat> I kind of refer to those guys like as the, you know, the Southern rock metal band.
0: (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Did you know Dimebag played on uh, um, Fight for Your Right to Party by the Beastie Boys and did the solo? Well, no, no, he didn't. That was Kerry King from Slayer. Yeah, Yeah, that was No Sleep Till Brooklyn. No Sleep Till Brooklyn. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's just see more (laughs) of that.
1: Uh, They did do some stuff with David Allen Coe, though, I know
0: pantera did but they start out as a hair metal band though with all the the hair and looks yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you know before they got into the hardcore stuff that that we all really know them for which is funny but you know matt had a really good take i think you know at some point maybe in the fall we get um we have a journalism journalist roundtable and get andy aldor and matt wake together and you've got two different generations of musicians and journalists and maybe hear what they have to say
1: no, that is a great idea. That's a great idea. I like that. We'll have to. We'll have to do that. So, um, on that note, always remember: Southern rock is reverent, and blues is blood. We'll see you next time. Ah.